Do you know what separates a failed business exit from a highly profitable one? Do you want to maximize the value of your business? The Business Exit Stories podcast is the solution. Through a collection of stories told by the business intermediaries who facilitate those transactions, you'll receive the key takeaways from successful and, yes, some not-so-successful business exits. Now is the time to begin to position your business for an exit by implementing key strategies designed to maximize your enterprise value and help you achieve an exceptionally profitable exit. Today we have with us Susan Rosner, an experienced M&A advisor who shares with us how a transaction that began well began to fall apart early in the due diligence process and was held together because the buyer was motivated and remained engaged and really wanted to close the deal. Listen on what eventually ended up being the reason that the deal didn't close. It will literally have you scratching your head. In another transaction, a family business with a long history of profitability was listed for sale and five buyers were ready to make offers to acquire the business. But the business ended up not being sold. The reasons may surprise you and perhaps not surprise others. Which camp will you fall into? Listen as Susan explains how this transaction unfolded. In another transaction, she shares where a number of buyers appeared and made offers on a business, and but for one reason or another, they decided not to proceed. Susan shares with me an axiom that she's learned to live by. Some will, some won't. So what? What's next? Which means that there will be some buyers that will do a deal and some that won't. You must have the attitude of, so what? and then move on to find out what's next. In this transaction, she shares how a number of qualified buyers came and went, but the last buyer ended up being the best one and the one with the best fit. Finally, Susan shares how a business had an offer pre-COVID, and when COVID hit, the deal fell apart. However, even in uncertain times, there are buyers that will make decisions and close deals. Listen how one deal came together at the height of COVID. This is Marvin L. Storm with Business Exit Stories. This morning, we're here with Susan Rosner. Susan, would you take a few minutes and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your company and where you're located? Sure. Uh, hi, Marvin. I'm Susan Rosner with Calder Associates. I'm uh, here in Newtown, Pennsylvania, Bucks County. Um, our company is Calder Associates. We're a boutique M&A firm. And our focus is really to help business owners profit from their life's work. We have offices on the East Coast primarily, although the businesses that we represent can be anywhere almost in the world. <laughs> You'll hear some of those stories today. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those transactions you've been involved in over the years. And we'll get started, as we always do, with a couple of those transactions that have been somewhat challenging, may have gotten closed, may have not gotten closed. And so why don't you just jump in and talk about a couple of those transactions that have uh, taken place over your career that were somewhat challenging? Well, you know, first of all, it's challenging over an 18-year career in M&A to come up with just a couple of stories. Um, I'm sure you've but had the, your share. Yeah, the one that I thought I'd share today is uh, a company that uh, actually is an, a company that was an inter international company, and there was a U.S. operation that the uh, privately owned 
owner of the international company decided he wanted to spin off. It was no longer a strategic fit and he wanted some of that money to invest in his businesses in Europe. So uh, we uh, spoke with them. It seemed like a very strong business. It had been doing uh, really well in terms of increasing uh, its trajectory. At the time we looked at the business, it, uh, the, the last previous year, it had done about 20 million in sales. My contact was the general manager of the U.S. operations. And um, after a vetting process, uh, we decided to work together on selling the business. Just like, you know, with, with every business, there was a few twists and turns. Uh, the first twist was when we began to look at the financials, we noticed that there was a fairly large amount of deferred revenue, meaning money that was paid, but um, for which services had not been uh, provided. And I think a lot of businesses have some type of deferred revenue, whether you get a deposit or retainer, or in this case, there were service contracts that were prepaid for three to five years. Just three for clarification now, the contracts were over this longer period of time, but people paid in advance for those services? Yes. Okay. They would pay for contracts that were out three to five years. Some people paid as you go, but they offered a discount. So that's why there was this okay. uh, you know, large amount of um, deferred revenue. And um, the business owner had heard uh, through his advisors that in a transaction, you keep all the cash. But in this case, since the cash wasn't revenue, it was revenue that would be booked in the future, he didn't realize, and we had the pleasure of telling him <laughs> that that $3 million would have to be transferred to a new buyer because it was not booked revenue. It was a liability. And uh, that created a little bit of a noise in, in, in our ability to sell the business because he had always counted on that $3 million being cashed in his pocket at the end of the well, day. It sounds like that may be a kind of a deal stopper if he's expecting to take millions of dollars at closing that's going to be his. And normally in a normal transaction, if it's structured according to how these deals get done, that's not going to him, it's going to the buyer. Sounds like a deal stopper to me. Yeah, it could have been. But, uh, you know, we explained the situation and we committed to do whatever we could to um, perform a miracle, <laughs> which would be to Susan's try miracle to... miracle worker, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, or a magician. You know, I think, you know, I had said, uh, I say this a lot that um, I'm a... a M&A advisor, not a magician, but, you know, sometimes I, I play one. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how you were able to pull this rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. Um, so uh, we put the business on the market in spite of this, you know, a little bit of attention. And um, it took us a while. The, the seller really dragged his feet getting us information and, um, you know, in this business, time kills deals. So we couldn't really sort that out. When we finally got information, we realized that the delay 
was that in the most recent year, we had had, I think it was 2016, maybe we had information from 2016, we were at the end of 2017, but we didn't get the final audit financials until March of 2017, we were uh, 18, we were already on the market. And um, lo and behold, the business had taken a precipitous decline. So it had gone from 20 million to 11 million. So now we have so the second issue. do you think this issue. is why they were being somewhat slow and being responsive? That would be my theory of the mm -hmm. case, that there was sort of this reticence to tell us bad news. But, you know, eventually they had to. And I think they also were hoping that in telling us bad news, they would have some good news to tell and that maybe they would have closed some of the deals and the, this, the current year we were in were increasing. Unfortunately, that was not the case. So, you know, sort of as we were going through this process, the business was $20 million, we got an $11 million audited financials and it looked like the business was on track to do $8 million in the year that we were trying to sell it. That's not an easy story to sell, is it? It's not an easy story to tell, but if you have a motivated seller and they realize this is the situation, then maybe you say to them, you know, if you don't sell now, it's going to take five years to get where you need to get to anyway. So how do you want to handle this? At the same time this was all happening, we had a motivated buyer who had some, um, you know, s sort of connection to this industry. And the industry basically was um, a company that provided control room um, uh, accessories, I would say, control room accessories for transit authorities around the country as well as some utilities and that sort of thing. So this was a buyer who had some experience and they thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. And they were very patient and they looked for ways to get the deal done. And they actually presented a deal where most of the business would, um, most of the uh, cash at closing Okay, this was the miracle because the cash at closing would in fact stay with the seller and that um, the, the, the other consideration for the business would be paid for over time. The seller would keep some skin in the game and it looked like a deal that was plausible. So um, the miracle was that this deferred revenue, these service contracts, uh, the agreement was that the seller would keep the deferred revenue, but also have to deliver on the service contracts. This wasn't that much of a heavy lift because the delivery of the service contracts was maybe a quarterly visit by a tech to the facility to make sure everything was working. And they felt like that had minimal costs and this would be an opportunity for them to really um, satisfy the seller, give him the cash at closing that he wanted and thought he deserved, and also, uh, you know, move, move the transaction forward. But as the time wore on, the time became clearer that these contracts were not going to um, happen and that the, it, it looked like there was more than a likelihood that this $8 million deal was, could have potentially, or this $8 million business could potentially even you know, sort of, sort of decline even more. The buyer that's still motivated. The buyer's still motivated. He said, let's all get in the room and figure it out. So we got in the room. My client flew from overseas. They came, they were from a, you know, they from, from the Maryland area. We all met um, in, in an attorney's office and we had a game plan and we 
you know, the sellers and I figured out a game plan, how we're going to approach it along with the attorneys. And when we got into the room, the seller just had another idea that he threw out on the table that just wasn't going to work. And it was really the moment of truth for me. I knew I just, you know, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't continue <laughs> representing the business in good conscience because time was going to pass more. We were wasting a lot of my time, the buyer's time, the attorney's time, the seller's time. So um, in short order, I, you know, called the client up and said, I really feel like we're on a path to nowhere. And I think it's time for us to, uh, you know, if this deal goes through, I'll represent you on this deal, but the likelihood is very low, but we're not going to present it to anybody else because we can't get you the deal that you ultimately want. And so I guess the real takeaway in this, you had a business where you had an extremely motivated buyer that was patient and sounds like what you're talking about here. It took a year or so for due diligence and they just were not being responsive, I guess, waiting for something to happen that they'd have a better story to tell. That never really happened. And so time passed. And I guess the real takeaway for those in our audience that are listening to this, that are business owners out there, entrepreneurs that are going to at some time go through a transaction on their own, is that time does kill deals. It's, uh, you need to be responsive. And in this case, even when the buyer was bending over backwards, it sounds like, to make this deal happen, they couldn't get the seller to the table. You know, one of the things that happened as well, you know, we, all, we always say time kills deals. But there's another, you know, th- th- I think there's, a, there's another layer here too, which is unrealistic expectations also kills deals. So we started out with a $20 million company, a $15 million million valuation. And over time, as the dollars declined, I, you know, my um, assumption was that there would be a recognition by my clients that there would have to be some accommodation in terms of the sale price. So there's also this unrealistic expectation. And in fact, at one point, the uh, the GM here in the United States sent me a file with 30 years of financial statements, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, his thinking was this business is worth the 30 years that we've been doing business. And the reality is, is really the business yeah. is worth what your business is doing in the current period or over the last three years. And um, if it's declining, the valuations are going to decline. I can't look back 30 years. So it's a little bit of time kills deals, unrealistic expectations. I think this deferred revenue piece that we talked about, it may be a little confusing to some, but if anybody gets a retainer for work they have not performed, that's not your money. <laughs> that's basically a liability or, you know, or it's, it's money that is um, not deployed yet. So uh, if you sell your business before it's deployed, then that money goes to the buyer to be able to deploy the services in the yeah, future. You got to really separate that out because it's going to come up in the closing. Well, good takeaways, Susan. Why don't we jump into another transaction you've been involved in that had its peculiarities to it too. Yeah, this one is, um, you're going to see some, I think, common themes, you know, through some of these. But this one was a a manufacturer of uh, building uh, materials and ornaments, primarily fiberglass. And my client was 
a business owner who had been in business, I don't know, 50, 60 years. He was 84 years old. God bless him. And uh, delightful guy, had lots of stories to tell. I was always there, you know, an hour longer than I should have been, but I enjoyed listening to his stories. His um, two sons were in the business. One was um, president, so he was really the operations guy. And the other one was um, more marketing. And you had got the feeling that he had the job just because his father wanted to somehow equalize um, the opportunity for both his sons. And I met with them. And as I do with many families is I needed to talk to them all. They all had ownership in the business. I needed to get to know them and to get a sense of whether they were all on board with selling the business. And at least from the get-go, they all were. Their financials were good. Um, they had some anomalies with their, fi with their financial statements and such. But generally, they ran a really good business. A little, you know, may maybe they took a little bit too much out for their own personal use. And, you know, for those of you who do that, there are a way to make adjustments. But if you do it too much, it can affect the, <laughs> you know, the ultimate ability of you to make money. So uh, we had to coach them a little bit. Just a little curious here. You have a senior member of the family, kind of the patriarch of the family, and he has a couple of sons, and the sons really didn't see that they wanted to take over the business? They didn't. Um, the son who was the operations manager, he had other dreams in his life, and he, you know, at least what he presented to me initially was that he had no interest in taking over the business, and in fact, it wasn't his passion. He had another passion that he wanted to pursue and he was 50. And so he, you know, felt he had only a short amount of time to be able to really pursue that fat passion. So it seemed like it was a good um, opportunity because the business was doing well. It was a good opportunity for them to seek an outside um, acquirer. The more I got to know the family, the more I began to see that there, um, there, there was a quagmire, I would call it, you know, between all of the parties. And there was a, a sense that I got that the real reason they wanted to sell is because they didn't want to deal with some of the, you know, real core family dynamic issues around the father's will, around, you know, there was no will, there was no real understanding of what was going to happen should he pass. There was the building, there was the business, all of them had different ownership, and there was a fear that the family members would be uh, not able to come to an agreement should the father not be around. So I sort of got the sense that, um, you know, there was something going so on behind the, the scenes. the business was kind of the path of least resistance, it sounds like. It seemed to me that that was the case, which was unfortunate. Um, but it was, wasn't something that I felt was a deal breaker at the time. When someone is in their 80s and running the business, how did he feel what was going to happen after the decades of running his business? What was his thoughts of once the business was gone, what was he thinking? He didn't really, that's, a, you know, that's really, um, I think, an important part of this particular story. I, don't, I think that he ultimately equated and he would sit and talk to me about this because we became you know sort of friends I guess and he would say that he you know he, he really 
felt like he wouldn't know what he would do after he sold the business. He said he'd probably die after he sold the business, which of course made me ponder whether we would ever sell the business, which this is a, this is a story about deals that you know, did not close. So ultimately, um, we got buyers in there, but he came up with excuse after excuse. It was a good business. So you had multiple buyers and you presented deal after deal to him. And you're saying he always found a reason that this buyer wasn't quite right? One reason was he didn't trust him. Uh, from what? I don't know, but he just didn't trust him. And he thought he would do something nefarious with the business, which whatever that meant. And then there was another guy that was going to move it and he didn't want it to move, which look, I get that. Sometimes people don't want people who work for them to lose their jobs, but they would have found other jobs. It's, you know, it's not a bad, it wasn't a bad economy at the time. And then, you know, I think we had three buyers and the other one, he just, you know, he just dismissed because he didn't like, you know, something that somebody said. I mean, literally, it was just one of those things that I finally, um, I finally came to the conclusion. And I, I think this has actually informed me as well on um, uh, sort of deals that I be, I'm willing to represent. I came to the conclusion that he did equate selling the business to dying. And so nobody's going to, you know, he wasn't a guy that's going to commit suicide, <laughs> literally. So I didn't think that we would ever find a deal that he would agree to. And so I had to cut my losses and we, we parted ways, you know, very nicely. And I think they all, the, the, the sons understood because by that time, you know, they had seen the behavior too. And they, was a, they were disappointed as well that we couldn't get a deal done. For those in our audience out there that may be in their 60s or maybe getting into their 70s or maybe even older, based on this transaction, what would you tell people that they need to put their antenna up and their radar up on? If you're running your business into your 70s or older, what do you need to ask yourself? <laughs> you know, I once had a client and I, you know, when I asked him, he was in his 60s and I said, why are you selling? And you know, I have a great business. And he <laughs> says, I don't want to go scuba diving in a wheelchair. Right. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you have your life to live. You've developed this wonderful business. It's a, you know, it has value. Hopefully, you know, if it does have value, you have many years ahead of you. And, you know, the, the, the opportunity is there for you to pursue your dreams. What are your dreams? What's your plan B? What would you like to do? If you do not have a plan B, and if your business truly is your life, that's fine. Admit it. And then put place plans to, you know, sort of ride out the wave until you can't. But you have to have a plan at least. So, you know, I would say to somebody when they're 60, the same way I would say with somebody that I was 30, look at 10 years out. Always be looking 10 years out. Where, what do you want to be doing 10 years from now? How do you want to be living your life? And if that's the case, what do you have to do today to make that happen? And that's really... Um, you know, whether, you know, whatever you're doing in life, you need to do that. Unfortunately, business owners really get caught up in the day-to-day -day, and many of them really love what they do until they don't. <laughs> and, you know, you really have to step back, think about it, get your family together, ask them what you, they want you to be doing in that, in that time, but you have to have some foresight. You have to really plan ahead. So I guess if you're running your business into your 70s or maybe even into your 80s, then 
probably your business is your life. And uh, you just sort of recognize that and make plans accordingly. And from a, you know, an intermediary standpoint, I've gotten to the point where you, you better, you got to convince me if you're 75 years old, you got to really convince me that you're going to sell your business before I'll, you know, go along for the ride. Because it's just too painful. You know, you develop relationships with these people and you realize they're not being honest with themselves. And you just, you know, it's, right. it's, it's tough. Yeah. All right, Susan, now that we've chatted a little bit about those challenging stories, why don't we move over and have you share a couple of transactions that you've been involved in over the years that uh, had some great outcomes and maybe some outcomes that were beyond expectations and share some of the takeaways from those transactions with us. All right. Again, there have been many, thank goodness. Um, I thought of two. Um, one that I'll share with you was a buyer about 40 years old. A little unusual because I usually like business owners who are near retirement, but he's 40 years old and he owned a um, water remediation service, like a serve pro, but not a franchise. He built it up. He bootstrapped it. It was a nice, nice business and he was profitable. And he got to the point where he was, uh, uh, his wife was having a third child. And he, when I asked him why he wanted to sell, he said it was because he made a promise to his wife. And that promise was that they would move to a warmer client, climate because they had both grown up overseas in a warmer climate. And that was their dream. And that's how they wanted their children and they, how they had young children. They wanted to raise their children. You know, that seemed to me to be a compelling story. We put the business on the market and Within a very short period of time, we had three offers. We chose one, and we were pretty far down the road. We were about, I would say, three weeks away from closing, and the uh, buyer disappeared. I, I Honestly, I never had that happen before, but the buyer just disappeared. And after about three weeks, I just texted and emailed the buyer and their, the attorney saying, we're, you know, we're done. We're going to move on. That was buyer number one. So, I, you know, we had three buyers, the buyers that we had, uh, none of them wanted to move forward. So we went out to the market again and we got another buyer. And this offer, by the way, the first offers was about 10% below what the expectation was, but this offer was exactly what the business owner wanted. So it was a really good offer. And um, we were about a week into uh, due diligence we had gotten the due diligence list and the buyer asked us to send all of the due diligence information, uh, wanted us to send it in paper, which meant we had to, if we decided to do that, we would have to print out thousands and thousands of pieces of paper and send them, I would say, in four or five boxes or so. So um, we really decided this wasn't the right buyer because it's a, it was a tech-enabled company. And if he couldn't figure out, we actually take all of the due diligence information. We have it in the cloud on um, a virtual deal room. This was not going to work out. So we're ready to go to buyer number three. We went to buyer number three, who was so excited about the opportunity. And he acted really, really fast. We hooked him up with a bank. He got a bank loan. We we were about 10 days away from closing. He had quit his job. He was ready to go. And I got a call from the seller telling me uh, that he had decided he did not want to sell. 
Oh, that was a tough conversation. So he said his plan had been to move to the to a, a warmer climate. He had set up a business. He had problems with his soon-to-be business partner, and that deal fell apart. So since that deal fell apart, that meant this deal fell apart. You know, at, at that point, I, I don't remember having a situation like that before this, but my role at that point was, you know, what do I do with this? Do I push him into selling? I mean, he's close to selling or, you know, how do I approach this? So uh, my, uh, my approach was, I really want to help him make the best decision possible. And so we spent a, an hour or so on the phone and I said, you know what, let me come and talk to your wife. Uh, luckily, I knew what his motivations were for selling the business. So I sat with he and his wife and, you know, I didn't, I don't, this wasn't necessarily the connection, but it's the same connection I'll make to the story that failed. And I said to him, nine months from now, 12 months from now, are you going to look back on this and say, I should have taken that deal? And we began to talk about his future and what he wanted to do and how this was going to fund whatever his next step was going to be. I used my uh, life coaching and business coaching skills to, you know, really just have a conversation with him without, you know, having him look at the pros and cons without really imposing my view, which was, you got to get to closing. But I, you know, I couldn't impose that view. I didn't think it was fair. So at the end of the conversation, which is two and a half, three hours, I turned to his wife and I said, you've heard the conversation. What would you advise, you know, what, what would you advise your husband to do? And she's, you know, very clearly stated, I really want you to go ahead with the deal, sell the business. So um, in the end, we did sell the business. He did go to close and happily. He, you know, it took him a couple of days, but he was excited and happy. He was getting an all cash deal. It was a really good deal. And um, he, he could begin to plan his future and actually keep the commitment he made to his, his wife. So when you look at a transaction like this, where it has so many iterations and ups and downs as you proceed through the deal, when it comes down to really at the final decision that you have to make, what would you say the takeaway here is for those that are listening in from your perspective, what a buyer, a seller, especially a seller would need to take into consideration when they make that final decision to sign their name on the dotted line that represents years, if not decades of a life's work? You know, it's interesting because I've had all kinds of emotional outbursts from sellers um, at the final hour. And uh, it is going to be an emotional roller coaster. Um, I had one guy who called me and he said, I don't know if I can get to closing. And we knew he was going to get to closing, but he was just trying to vent. He said, I had a dream on my father, who had st- his father had started the company. He said, my father, who started the company, my dream was my father was hitting me up on the head. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, so, and this was a 70-year-old guy. I don't know how long his father hadn't been with him, but um, it's a very emotional time. Know that that is going to be an emotional time. It's a really key life event. And just like we talked about in the case that failed, you always have to keep your goals in mind. And know that, you know, achieving any goal has its, you know, is, is going to be a roller coaster ride. But um, know what you want. If you want to sell your business, go through with it. If you don't, I tell my clients all the time, if any time during the deal, 
you feel sick to your stomach about going through the deal, then, you know, work it out. But if it never goes away, then walk away because it's just not the right time and you have to do what's the best for you. Also, cadence to it. Uh, yeah. It doesn't go away. Walk away. Yeah. And, and you have to think about, and if I walk away, am I going to regret it? Because I can tell you people who did walk away a little bit earlier than this guy would have, have always said that they've re regretted it because, you know, it's hard to find a good buyer and a seller. It's hard to find that match. Yeah. They don't come out um, all that often sometimes, especially when you get an all cash deal and uh, you can, uh, it was really good. That you wanted. Um, and the other thing in, in this particular case, I think it speaks to, you know, if you have a good business, you have multiple offers and you're going to hear this theme because our process is set up so that we get multiple offers. But if you have multiple offers, one doesn't work, walk away. Two doesn't work, walk away. Three doesn't work, walk away. You'll find somebody. We'll find somebody. If we've decided your business is saleable, it's just a matter of finding the right buyer. And, you know, the saying that I use is some will, some won't. So what? Who's next? Cool. Yeah. Since we're kind of in the middle of the pandemic, we're recording this well into the pandemic right now. Do you have any transactions that worked out well, even during this turbulent time of uncertainty caused by COVID? Yes. In fact, I sold a business that had closed last week. And it's, you know, it's really one of the stories that I wanted to share here because I think it's important for people to know, um, you know, first of all, there are strong businesses that have continued to perform during the pandemic. And there are buyers out there and they're good deals to be had. And we were able to get a deal closed. Just know that when you go through this process, when you sign up to sell your business, it's there's a lot of learning that takes place during this time. It's probably learning that you'll never use again if you know if you don't become a business intermediator yourself or if you, you know, go and retire. But it's a it's a roller coaster ride. And that was the case for this seller. The business was a consulting service that provided some services to attorneys. And we put it on the market. It was very popular. People like the low asset part of it, and uh, they like the consulting part of it. And it seemed like it was a business that a um, either a strategic buyer providing the same services or an individual high net worth buyer could, could run. So uh, we put it on the market. We got five offers within a week. I mean, it was crazy. It was like we were giving something away. We chose one offer that ultimately was canceled within 24 hours for something that happened on the buyer's oh, side. I don't know. the context here? Was this pre-COVID or? This was October, 2019. Good point. Yeah. So it's October, 2019 when the business went on the market. The economy is hitting on all cylinders. Everything's going well. Business is booming. Got five offers, one, okay, he didn't go. We went to the next one, as I said in the past, some will, some won't, so what, who's next? And we um, got a great offer and everything was proceeding well. December, January, February, we were, we were basically trying to negotiate the final agreements and there were some hiccups, there were some attorney issues back and forth. So it took a little longer than we would have hoped, but at the end of the day, we were scheduled to have a, um, all hands team, buyer, the seller, the attorneys, to go through the final pieces of the asset purchase agreement that still needed so to be when, resolved. When would this all hands meeting get together have happened? What what time frame? This, you know, I should have looked up the date, but it, it was um, it it was the it was the Tuesday right after the NBA canceled its season. 
<laughs> so I think that was the second week of That's March. That's an old man. <laughs> Did everyone freak out at the closing table here? So it was the second week of March, I believe. And um, we were supposed to have a meeting that next week. Rather than the meeting, we were told by the buyer they were pulling out. Because they were freaking out. It was pandemic panic. So they said, we don't know if we'll be back to the table, maybe six months, maybe a year. But they were nervous because they were afraid their core business wouldn't be able to manage. I think we were all nervous. You know, we were all basically told stay at home and don't see anybody. So it was hard to know how you could do business. So, you know, it took us a few weeks and uh, my client was freaking out too, but the business really never had a hiccup. The business just went along fine. So we decided in late April to put it back on the market or we never really took it off the market, but just start to be active and responsive. By June, we had a letter of intent and the um, buyers were in related business. They also serviced attorneys. This I was, was going a really to ask you, kind of a strategic buyer then? This was a really good opportunity. It was sort of a, a, a business, maybe the same size as they were, three, $4 million business, but it was a great marriage. Really good you know, good buyers. And um, they were motivated to get a deal done because the SBA was offering this deal. Don't think they'll ever do it again, but the deal was if you closed an SBA loan by September 27th, the government would pay six months worth of principal and interest of your loan. Not defer it, not have you pay it on the back end, but they would pay it six months. So um, these buyers were motivated. We already had our deal room up because we had already gone through due diligence. So we were, I I mean, the the buyer thought we were brilliant. You know, they thought we were magicians (laughs) because we were able to get all this information to them almost at a click of a button and attorneys were engaged. You know, everything went very smoothly and they used the SBA lenders, which sometimes creates a little complication, which it did. But, um, you know, we had your normal uh, negotiations back and forth. Believe me, anybody that goes through this, you can you can have a business deal, but then there's the legal deal. And the legal deal may, basically is everything that you've promised has, you know, you have to, whatever you've promised, you have to sign your life away that it's true. And so, it creates some angst from the seller's perspective. But in the end, we were able to get the deal closed. Even during the pandemic, there are buyers and you just need to find the right fit. And if you find the right fit, we're, it's a good deal for the buyer and a good deal for the seller. Deals get done. Even during this time of uncertainty during the pandemic. It's amazing. It was amazing. And the buyer and the seller couldn't be a more perfect fit. And, uh, you know, at least right now, I mean, they may be in their honeymoon period, but I felt like it was a great deal for both parties. Again, not not without its angst. There's angst to every deal. And I don't want anybody listening to think that it's a smooth sale because there are always things that you just don't expect that come up. But um, they were able to really work together to negotiate everything. And in the end, the deal got done even during what one could say was the worst of times. Yeah, I think that the takeaway, deals can get done 
even during challenging times. And yes. I think it's interesting to know there's kind of a silver thread that wove its way through all of your stories is the first buyer didn't work out, the second buyer didn't work out, and maybe the third or fourth buyer. But once you found the fit, so don't freak out, you know, if the first one doesn't work out, there is a good fit out there. And in almost every story that you're talking about here, it was a subsequent buyer that became the good fit. Yes. And, you know, sometimes people learn during, they sometimes learn during that uh, initial sort of interaction. But I can say that of all the deals that I've done, we have a very high um, ratio of those first deals actually getting to closing. So some of the reasons that these were, you know, sort of spoke to me is that I remember them because they were just complicated and there was a much more of a roller coaster just because the first buyer didn't work out. In, in the COVID environment that we're dealing in right now, have you had situations where buyers and sellers never really got together? They, they were just dealing virtually or over Zoom or? Yeah, actually, in this particular case that I sold, they never met each other in person. Oh, th- this particular situation, they never met each other. Isn't that amazing? Nope. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? We did, we did a couple of Zooms, but then some people feel the Zooms got in the way. We um, did some where we were screen sharing as we were going through due diligence. But yeah, if you would have told me that we would have been able to get a deal done without the principals never meeting, I would have, you know, I, I would have rolled my eyes and, and really <laughs> say, you know, what, what plan are you on? We yeah. do live in an evolving, changing world, don't we? It's, it's quite incredible. I mean, years ago, I did do a deal without meeting, with me not meeting any of the parties. You know, I was, uh, I was able to sit in my office and um, I couldn't travel. I had had every place. I had a problem for like nine, 12 months, but I, I got deals done, you know, and it was a long time ago. It was 12 years ago now, but where there's a will, there's a way, I guess. I, yeah, I guess so. Well, it's been delightful, Susan. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your ideas and your deal stories with us here today. If someone wanted to reach out to you, and what would be the best way for them to get a hold of you? You can email me at srosner, R-O-S-N-E-R, at calderassociates.com, and that's C-A-L-D-E-R, associates spelled out, dot com. And of course, our website is www.calderassociates.com. Just ask for Susan. Thanks for taking the time. And this is Marvin L. Storm with Business Exit Stories, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Business Exit Stories podcast. For more information or to reach out to today's guest, visit www.businessexitstories.com for more details. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast from your favorite podcasting platforms. And remember... Maximizing business value at the time of exit doesn't happen magically. It takes planning.